Welcome to Curve Beam Connect. Listen in monthly as we talk with doctors and experts in the field discussing innovations and insights into orthopedic imaging. Welcome to the Curve Beam Connect podcast, where we give doctors, patients, and anyone interested in healthcare and technology a look into how our solutions are changing medicine. I'm your host, Vinti Singh, Director of Marketing here at Curve Beam. This episode, we are going to learn about a new platform, AMP Recover, which promises to improve the patient recovery process by better connecting patients, providers, and organizations. To educate us, I'm joined today by AMP Recover CEO, David Nichols, and AMP Recover user, Dr. Trevor Turner, MD, RMSK, who is also the director of the Center of Orthobiologics at Georgia Bone and Joint in the Southern Greater Atlanta metro area. Welcome, Dave and Trevor. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So how about we start off with David giving us the elevator pitch for AMP Recover. Uh, What was the problem that you identified in healthcare and how did you go about solving it? Sure. So AMP Recover was based on filling the the gap that is needed uh, in orthopedic rehabilitation where um, patients leave the clinic and in most clinic situations, about 65% of patients don't do their rehabilitation with the orthopedic team where they had their surgery. And so there's a major gap between when they leave the expertise of the clinic and they go home to the rehabilitation uh, wherever they live. And so we we created a, a telehealth platform, if you will, uh, to provide a connectivity uh, between the, the orthopedic provider their uh, physical therapy practice, their rehab coordinators, and the patient themselves. So we're really trying to create a, sort of a digital tether, if you will, um, between everyone on the care team and, and being centered around the patient as as the primary focus of that. Um, in the past, um, you know, rehabilitation was was delivered uh, mostly through paper handouts and three ring binders. And with the new consumer patient and the way that the, the market has changed, you know, patients are expecting to have their, their care delivered in the same way uh, as they are in their consumer applications, as they are in their um, uh, in, in the rest of the life, the way that, that they experience uh, with companies. So uh, really providing a full digital workflow uh, for, for clinics and the patients is, is really our main goal. So how did you come up with this idea? What was your aha moment? So kind of, we have a very interesting story. So we were actually originally created with, uh, as a high performance sports management product, uh, leading up to the Sochi Games, the Olympics with the United States Ski and Snowboard Association. So a very similar problem to to uh, post-acute rehab. They had athletes all over the country um, trying to, to follow along and communicate with remote athletes. And one of our primary providers was the Stedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado. And they're uh, the premier provider of, of orthopedics to the United States Ski and Snowboard. Um, and so very similar problem, returning an athlete to performance or to play uh, has a very same workflow 
as uh, preparing an athlete um, for, you know, for competition. And so we eventually, having worked with the guys in Vail, pivoted the company completely to a health product, seeing that the market was was just enormous and there was a huge gap in products available to to people like Georgia Bone and Join and the Stedman Clinic. So we pivoted the company away from uh, high-performance sports management went strictly into a HIPAA-compliant uh, product for post-acute rehab, as 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 most of the people we were talking to that were dealing with with injured athletes had no way to manage that process. Um, and so, about two years ago, we did that, um, and now that's what we focus on. Uh, you know, 100% is is helping orthopedic surgeons connect and and work with their with their patients. Uh, you know, once they leave the clinic. That's really interesting. That the genesis of this was uh, coming up with a, a solution for high-performance athletes, but then that same paradigm of care can be applied to uh, everyone and, you know, expanding that to the entire patient base. And, and that's correct. And what's interesting now is, as we'll probably hear from Dr. Turner, is, you know, preventative medicine and what we call phase five rehabilitation, which is post post acute care where you know patients have gone through a full rehabilitation and now they're just trying to become stronger and better and get back to their normal lives um it's a very same workflow so you know now with trying to reduce costs and increase the quality of care preventative medicine uh is is huge now and and we can provide that same value in being able to provide um some of the things dr turner is doing as well as you know prehab protocols to keep people out of surgery. Um, so, you know, we're not only focused on dealing with post-surgical, we're, we're looking at, you know, just the consumer patient and keeping them out of surgery, dealing with them, dealing with them they are in surgery, but even post-surgery, you know, having them a successful two years, five years, 10 years after surgery, getting back to whatever it is that they love to do. Yeah. I, I think most people are probably familiar with rehab post-operatively, but prehab might be a new term to most people. Um, Dr. Turner, can you tell us a little bit about your background uh, and the Center for Orthobiologics at GB&J and how prehabilitation comes into that? Sure, absolutely. Well, I, you know, initially saw a lot of the value in what Dave and Ampercover was doing because we experienced very acutely exactly what he was talking about. I mean, we, we had a lot of professional athletes flying in at the Andrews Institute where I was working in the past and, and it was a similar kind of setup to Stedman clinic, I think in that regard. And there very much was kind of this critical lapse where people would come and, and maybe, you know, we would deliver great care and then they would do rehab and we had fantastic therapists and then they would go back to wherever they came from. And, and the drop off was different compared to whether you're a professional athlete or a collegiate or an amateur and of course, there's also a drop off if you're just a person who's flying in to get care and then, you know, you're just going back to your job or going back to whatever it is that's normal life. So that gap and, and, and the identification of how to close that gap, how to engage with a patient in the perfect way and how to do so in a way that was easy and convenient and accessible and also going to keep people motivated and ultimately be a thing that optimizes their outcome became something that as, as you know, medicine is changing and tilting towards digital health and remote patient monitoring, we're, we're trying to ask this question of what, what is it that's going to allow us to connect and to drive what it means to have a best outcome? Because, you know, the best, the best physicians and the best care teams together that work in kind of this changing 
value-based care, digital health environment, I mean, they're going to be the ones who are confident enough to put their outcomes out there. I mean, they're going to go out to the general public and say, look, you know, this isn't just good marketing that people do great here. And I will, I will show you the data of why we do the best. And not only that, but I'm going to enable you to be great even beyond the times when you are recovering from an injury. And, you know, we think about, you know, pitchers, for example. So here, you know, GB and J, we're kind of looking at, well, you know, how do we, how do we start a conditioning program for pitchers, you know, one to two weeks before a season starts so that they don't end up having elbow problems. They don't end up having shoulder problems in the first place. And how can we do that in a way that, you know, there's a lot of data on limiting pitch count and things like that, but, you know, also looking at ways to, to optimize people to keep them from, from needing more healthcare. And I think our, you know, that's one thing in the United States that, you know, we maybe are not great at. I mean, we're, we're great at delivering highly specialized care for very specific situations, but maybe when it comes to a preventative health and a public health perspective, that's something that, a lot of people, whether they're, you know, making policy or, or, or working for insurance or, or even running large, you know, health systems will say we're, you know, we're really not that great, especially when we compare ourselves to some of the other countries around the world. So, you know, David's solution, Amp Recover, kind of comes at a super critical time for the United States and, and the way that we try to do healthcare. And I imagine it will be for other countries as well. But so we, you know, when I got here to Georgia Bone and Joint, they they had asked me to kind of help them build a new division out, and and that is called Orthobiologics. Which for those of um, the listeners that aren't, you know, share what that means. That it essentially means that we take autographs or we take a patient's own cells, whether it comes from platelets that come from their blood or sometimes even cells we we get from the bone marrow depending on what the condition is. And sometimes we use that out of surgery, but sometimes we also use it in surgery to optimize people's outcomes, you know, but even whether or not we go to surgery or not, uh, it's kind of like what I, what I tell people is we're, we're building your foundation and now it's up for you to build the house. And that's what happens when people go back to their rehabilitation. And some of those do come here and, and we love our therapists and have great communication with them. But, you know, here in Atlanta, we do have people who fly into the airport and they they come in and, you know, obviously <laughs> flight schedules have been a little disrupted lately uh, on account of some of the virus hysteria that's going on. But, um, you know, when people fly in for care, ultimately they're going back either to the company that they came from or they're going back to the city that they live in. And, you know, we're still very much on the hook for how good their outcome is. And so for us, being able to control the entire care spectrum in a way that a patient, you know, feels like we are, you know, creating meaningful touch points for them outside of just the regular, you know, clinic visit. And then also identifying when they need extra help, you know, and we can be proactive about that instead of, you know, God forbid you treat somebody and they kind of fall off the map and you don't hear anything. And then, you know, eight months later they come back and they haven't done well. And then you're trying to solve problems on the back end instead of being proactive. And, and so this was a solution for us to sort of, you know, eliminate that bad story and, um, to really, you know, push people towards the best outcomes in a novel and innovative way. Do you have any patient stories you can share where, uh, because of the app, you were able to maybe pick up on a trend early or, uh, help a patient out remotely and it, it, it had an impact on their ultimate outcome? 
we're ca- we're careful about sharing patient stories because of HIPAA protection and uh, sharing medical data. Uh, actually, I could, I would love to have a patient actually come do that for you. But I think, you know, what um, what would be, I guess, another way for me to answer that is to think about, um, you know, some of the self funded employers we work with. So, you know, we you know, when we were putting a package together to be able to go out and and go to a self-funded employer and say, you know, hey, not only are we going to offer you, you know, a better bundled value-based healthcare with great outcomes, but here's the data. I mean, you, you know, monetization of data is, has become sort of a new paradigm in the way that, you know, the world and the business world operates. And so I think for, you know, the easy examples, Walmart, I mean, we're not contracted with Walmart here, but you know, if, if you were going to go to Walmart and say, you know, Hey, let me show you how great the care is, you know, being able to be connected all the time. And also for a company like Walmart or whoever it is to be able to say, you know, okay, yes, the, you know, our employee is engaged, they're doing their rehab, they're getting better, they're coming back to work. This is when the day is going to be, we know they're going to be ready for the physical demands of their job you know, that, that creates a pathway for that. And I think, um, you know, the patients like it, the providers like it, and, and ultimately the, you know, the companies who are, are going to solve problems in healthcare also like it. That's really interesting. And, and you brought up self-funded employers. Do you have initiatives in place to try to work with self-funded employers? And, uh, uh, you know, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, we do. Um, and, and I think a lot of that started with figuring out where we had a unique place in the market. I mean, we, we obviously, you know, we had the Atlanta airport and then we had our own surgery center and our own MRI and our own PT together. And, you know, it's funny because people usually think when you have ancillaries, they're like, oh, you're using ancillaries because you can generate extra money. But really the important thing was that these were cost centers and this allowed us to control the cost all the way across the spectrum. And that's why they were important when we were building it out. And so now that, you know, we have through the the genius kind of of our founder, uh, we had put those pieces in place. And then when I got here, what we found is that, pro, you know, usually right around 50% of the orthopedic issues that people would come in with, we could treat that effectively with an orthobiologic solution non-surgically. And then, you know, the other 50% would go to the OR, but even if they are going to the OR, can we do it in a way where we optimize their long-term outcome? You know, I mean, a great example of that is like use of bone marrow concentrate for rotator cuff repair. So, you know, if you get a, if you get a tear in your rotator cuff and you get surgery, there's a very high re-tear rate in the first year. And it depends what paper you read, but some papers are as high as 50%, which is a big deal because it's a long rehab. It's very painful. Um, and so if you add bone marrow concentrate at the bone tendon interface, when you do a rotator cuff repair in the OR, that, that retail rate drops to 13% 10 years out, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and so, you know, we saw that, you know, we had some unique pieces in place to be able to optimize outcomes, but then we said, you know, look, if you really want to be best in class and if you really want to do destination care and if you really want to be able to go to an employer and say, you know, look, there's plenty of people calling themselves centers of excellence, but let me show you what you're going to get if you send your employees here. And part of it was customer service, but the other part was, you know, telemedicine to be able to follow up with people and how are we, you know, creating opiate sparing plans and using different devices to do that. And then, uh, and then ultimately, of course, you know, Dave's, 
solution at Amp Recover was so compelling because it was just a way to say, you know, look, uh, I mean, you look at the data yourself and figure out, you know, how fast and how well the employees get and, and, you know, you can make sure that people are engaged and doing what they need to. So I think it was a combination of things that came together and it took a lot of buy-in and it took a lot of work. But um, once those, you know, kind of all the pieces got to be assembled, we we really felt like we were offering um, kind of a world-class product. Right, right. Uh, and, and to that end, Dave, how does your platform um, and business intelligence capability, how does that impact the overall clinical, financial, and operational bottom line of a practice like Georgia Bone & Joint? Uh, what, what are the value adds of, of adding this component? Well, I love I love the way you asked that because um, we we particularly focus on making sure that we have exactly what you said clinically, financial, and operational buy-in. Because uh, if we don't, we we have found you know in the healthcare industry you won't have success. And so, you know, one of the things like when we look at Dr. Turner and what he's doing is that you know clinically, obviously, if you're doing these these direct contract you know, self-funded employers, these, these are destination, these are destination clinic clients. And so the ability to manage those clients uh, throughout the episode is incredibly important. So the clinical side is huge. Um, the financial side, like, like Dr. Turner said, if, if, if we can't manage those outcomes, even in outside of proving that we're doing positive outcomes, if, if, if we are having, you know, negative outcomes and readmissions for the same surgeries, you know, uh, a center like Georgia Bone and Joint is not going to have success doing these kinds of contracts. Um, so the ability to track track your patients, engage your patients, really have them invested in their own rehabilitation, you know, to, to ensure that there's a higher chance of an outcome. And and obviously patients nowadays, you know, they, they love this kind of interaction because they're used to it, like we said, in every other form of their life. So you know, having them engage in that manner is great. It's 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 super helpful for the PT team, um, you know, the rehab team from Georgia Bone and Joint, because you know we really we we call it a provider playbook. We help them build where we digitize all their protocols, all their workflows, so that anyone on the team there can deliver them in just a couple of clicks, um, save them a ton of time. Uh, and doing that so they can spend more time with the patients that actually need touch points, uh, you know, the patients that are at risk, the patient having problems. Uh, and we we really want to help them, you know, do what they do best and not be in front of a computer entering data. And we do that by integrating with the EMRs so that they're not spending time, you know, doing a lot of that kind of documentation. And they're really spending their time, you know, looking at the patients that are that our intelligence intelligence is bubbling up that are at risk or or are having issues, so they can focus on the patients uh, that need those touches. And then, you know, from from a from a top down perspective, from the organization, I mean, everything now is about you know cost and quality and transparency. I mean, we all know that the healthcare market is shifting completely. You know, in in twenty four to thirty six months, if you're not providing transparency on your costs. And, and you can't provide, you know, CMS or the payers uh, proof of quality and, and proof of your outcomes, you know, you're going to be a dinosaur. So the one thing Dr. Turner understands, you know, that we loved is like data is going to be everything, you know, in the future. Software is eating the world. We know that. But 
Um, so many organizations are collecting data, but have no idea where it goes or what to do with it. And so, you know, Dr. Turner, I've talked a lot about, you know, all the data we can collect from from both patients and from uh, the clinical measures, both in-house at GBJ and when they go home to their to their affiliate providers, their third party providers, all that comes back. To, to the AMP platform that can be then analyzed, sliced and diced. Uh, and, and we really become then, if you will, sort of a business intelligence platform for healthcare data. And, and while that's not the most important thing right now, because we need to engage patients and, and really provide the tools you know, to, to help those patients get better, the long-term vision of our company, and I think what Dr. Turner understands is that the, the data is what's going to be you know, the most important you know, three, five, seven years from now, the ability to to look at that and analyze that and use machine learning to, you know, to really analyze the efficacy of, of both the orthobiologic uh, work that he's doing and, and the protocols that are being delivered to the patients post-surgical and, and really, so you can, you know, analyze and then modify and make sure you're delivering the best possible care. Um, So, you know, having some kind of central solution that can really, you know, aggregate all of that data from all these different sources while you're still engaging your patients. I think for, you know, any forward leaning practice like Georgia Bone and Joint it is a high priority in, you know, 2020 and 2021. Sure. And could you talk about the the potential for how large that overall data set could be? How many potential uh, data individual data points we could be collecting over the next five, 10, 15 years? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things when I came into this to this market was I was surprised at how little data was being collected or being utilized. Uh, while most of the vendors we talked to, you know, spoke a lot about their data and their data collection, none of it was being accessed uh, or very little other than in research situations. And it was still very uh, infrequent data, like you know, collecting patient data at six weeks, six months, a year or two years. We're providing data to Georgia Bone and Joint on a daily basis, not only on a daily basis, in every exercise program they do and every survey they fill out, whether it be a patient-reported outcome measure or a, a daily wellness questionnaire or a functional movement screen, something like that. We're collecting you know, very finite data points on on every question that's asked, and and we're you know we're pulling that together across the patient cohort. So if you look at an example of of like Georgia Bone and Joint, you know, a year or two down the road, we're going to have data on you know thousands thousands of surgeries with millions of data points that we can start to do the things where Dr. Turner could ask me, hey, you know, show me patients, uh, female patients from. 31 to 41 that had this biologic treatment uh, on this joint, and I want to see their their outcomes at six weeks, six months, and a year. And we'll be able to show him, you know, very discrete data on exactly where those people are. And and so really, the, the long term goal of this is then you can really start to benchmark the performance of 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 what's happening, and then and be able to say, you know, our 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 best quality outcomes are X, our middle are Y, and our lower are Z. And then we can start to really manage patients on where they should be at week two, week six, week 12, six months, um, you know, and, and start to, to use data as a way to, in an in evidence-based way, to really advise the, the care being given, not that we know more than the doctors, but we can present the data to the doctors to say, 
you know, this is what you, your historical data is showing you. And we're hoping that evidence can then really advise the decisions being made to either modify the protocols, make decisions, or just inform decisions, you know, so they have the best information possible. And, and that's really our long-term goal. Long-term goal is to, to really just inform the care team, both surgeons and physical therapists and anyone involved in the process, um, so that it's it's not just uh, you know uh, subjective decisions being made. It's it, it can really be evidence based on on data they've collected on their own patients. A lot of physicians naturally you know tend to be pretty confident, and which is good. I mean, you want your physician to be confident, but you know if you put a hundred people in a room and and all those hundred people think that they're the best surgeon, you know the the reality is is that you know maybe a handful of them or you know, are the best and, and some of them are not. And I think, you know, in medicine, you're never staying the same. You, you know, you're usually, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. And the people who are, are strongly committed to getting better are, are going to be able to take that feedback from the data and just say, look, you know, this is, this is not subjective criteria. This is what your outcomes are. And these are what the best outcomes are. So if you want to make your outcomes better, then you will modify what you do based on what you find. And I think, you know, as, as people train now, they're trained to kind of be physician scientists and, you know, not that we don't get help from statisticians and PhDs because we do and we have to, and we need to, but, um, and, and now data scientists, of course, but I think, um, ultimately that is going to drive the transformative change in healthcare that everyone is looking for. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like what this solution is offering is that it's creating an easy way to collect all those data points or moving away from from needing um, you know multiple people or departments just gathering the data and recording it but now it's it's a standardized um, it's happening with every single patient it's something you don't even have to think about uh, and I think that piece of it is is huge just right there absolutely and I think if uh, you know it's funny we used to when you're in medical school or residency and you're training, you have these, you know, meetings that you call M&M called morbidity and mortality. And, you know, you meet up and you look at cases that, you know, maybe didn't go right. And you talk about as a, as a whole, you know, program or organization, you know, what steps could you do next time to do better? And, and, you know, I think as we become more sophisticated, what people are going to do instead of, you know, just the traditional M&M conferences, they're going to say, you know, okay, it's, it's, let's, you know, let's have our monthly, you know, data set review. And, and this is about optimization and, and that's what drives us. So David, on the flip side of that, do you see this big data that AMP Recover is facilitating the collection of um, being utilized at all by healthcare organizations or um, even self-funded employers? Uh, on more of the business or practical side of healthcare? We do, um, probably in the longer term. Currently, you know, the way the system works and with the HIPAA requirements, um, we really kind of silo off each organization as their own. Um, there's there's not a ton of interest yet, in, sh in at least in, in our perspective, in sharing data between uh, clients. But that's also, um, you know, we're open to I, it. I think <laughs> they're open to it. Yeah, I think, that, you know, some are and some are not, you know, anon so what we like to ask clients to do is let us anonymize it and use it all together to create a better data set. Um, 
you know, so that we can provide value and say, hey, you know, you can look at what the global data looks like for these procedures because you know there's only there's a finite number of procedures that orthopedics uh, orthopedists do. Um, so you know, we don't want to measure you know client to client, but we do want to provide the ability to say, hey, you know, we have millions and millions of data points across all these clients. You can you know see you know how how your performances against the national average or even clinic to clinic. We have clients who have, you know, multiple 20, 20 clinics. They want to know how one clinic is performing versus the other, not only for administrative reasons, but maybe, you know, the guys down in South Georgia are using different protocols versus the guys in North Georgia. And if one is getting better results than the other, we want to, we want to, you know, bring that across the whole organization. So the data is key, but the, the, the key thing with us as any SaaS, you know, sort of contract product is that, you know, we are really, we call ourselves a, a services as, as a software platform, uh, not software as a service, because in the end, like the, for us, the software is sort of the easy part. Um, you know, it's really about servicing the clients and what they want and everyone's a little bit different. So we really like to, you know, put a heavy, heavy accent on how can we help you guys on a day-to-day basis if you're Georgia Bone and Joint. And and like I said, every clinic is very different. Every orthopedist is very different. Every physical therapist is very different. So we built a very modular framework that allows it to be sort of bent and molded to the needs of each client because, um, you know, we learned very early on that there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all for you know, for, for something like this. So, um, yeah, we try to work very individually with each client and make sure that you know, the way that they like to work is, is how we can, you know, how we can apply the product to them. Taking it a little bit, I guess, back to uh, some of the realities of healthcare. Uh, I think to anyone listening, the, the, the idea and the concept of being able to have care teams actually connected on a platform that, you know, the same way that we use Facebook or any of these other tools to be in constant communication, it just makes sense. And it's, it's better for the patient. It, it makes things more efficient for the provider. But in the world that we are today, can you talk about some of the challenges when it comes to market maturation for digital health technology and how you think you can come over that? Uh, and what are the levers that are going to enable higher adoption, knowing some of the challenges that exist for uh, acceptance of digital health technology? Sure. I mean, you're speaking to my day-to-day life, <laughs> if what I experience. Um, the number one thing is to have huge advocates like Dr. Turner who who get it. Um, you know, it, with any technology, I've been through several technology revolutions. I started my career in the in the mid-90s in the dot-com boom. And so, you know, there's always early adopters in any of these, you know, obviously healthcare is is a pretty latent uh, industry. They're 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 not <laughs> very excited about change. The larger the organization, the longer it's going to take. But you always find people like Dr. Turner who are you know are very forward thinking and really want to get ahead of the curve. Uh, and one of my pitches I always tell people when when we're speaking to them is like, look, you're either ahead of the curve or behind it. And if you're not ahead of it at this point, you are behind because the, the real forward leaning doctors are already doing this. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of, you know, if not when, and, and then who they work with. So, you know, the challenge is really, it's not really about, you know, a, a huge part of it for us is education. We have to educate the market. Then you run into people, you know, like Dr. Turner and other folks who, who get it and they just want to move forward and they understand it and they really want to apply these technologies. They see the value, but that's, you know, that's the, 
that's a small percentage of the folks. So a lot of our day-to-day work is education. You know, it, we're, we're educating folks in, in clinics and, and TPAs and, and consultants and health systems and hospitals on why this is important uh, in the end and, and understanding the value of moving to digital. But, you know, like we said, when we went into a lot of these organizations, the bar was so low that they were handing out you know, stick figure drawings on paper for professional athletes to go home and do their rehabilitation. So it, it, it's really a combination. And, and that's a true story. I mean, one of our advisors is is the director of, of sports science for the Milwaukee Bucks. And we've run into this where you, you would not believe where, you know, some of these clinics, how they operate. And so you have to really field all sides and understand that, if they're still using stick figure drawings, then then what we're trying to educate them is just understanding digital. If they're really forward thinking like Dr. Turner, we're going fully digital with everyone with self-insured. So we call it a crawl, walk, run um, sort of way of delivering the business. And we'll, we go in and help them analyze, are, where are you? Are you just about to crawl? You know, Dr. Turner was ready to run, but each organization is different. And if, and if they're very late and behind, then we start, you know, we understand it's going to be a 24 to 36 month process to really get them to, you know, to move forward on something. This is not a phone app you download and solves all your problems. You know, it's enterprise level software. So it really just depends on the client and, you know, obviously, when you're a small emerging tech company like we are, you look for the forward-leaning clients because they're going to help you, you know, really grow your business. But we still are talking to the large health systems as well, even though 2020 for them is probably just about education. So, um, you know, it's just a balance of of educating and and finding those people that can, you know, because at the end of the day, we haven't figured this out. I mean, we, we don't claim to have figured it out. We need the help of Dr. Turner and our other clients to really help shape the product and, and, and you know, help us create what they really need. And we're very upfront with them and saying, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're providing you a service, but at the same time, it's a partnership, not, uh, you know, it's, it's not just a client. We need you to really engage and help us so that collectively we can make something better, you know, for, for the entire, you know, for our entire client population. So it's uh, that's kind of the fun part of being a small startup. It's also very, you know, very stressful, but um, we, we love that because we, we find doctors like this that really engage and it, it makes our job very easy. Yeah, I was just going to say that was such a good question that you asked. And I, I think when you think about barriers for adoption, I mean, I remember when I first introduced the concept here at GBJ, you know, some of my partners and particularly the older partners were like, that's going to kill our business. And I was like, no, 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 it's the opposite. It's going to scale your business. And they're like, well, if people do rehab, you know, with their cell phones or iPads or whatever, then they're not going to come in and get physical therapy. And I said, no, there is no way that's going to happen. I mean, our, we have the biggest therapy clinic on the South side of Atlanta and it is packed I mean, it's booked. Right. And I was, you know, people are excited about the, you know, we have people who travel for business and who for, you know, all kinds of options would like the option to be able to do it on their own. So that, you know, that's one barrier is overcoming sort of the, the group think, right. That it's going to take away the business from our brick and mortar. Because like Dave said, you know, there's a huge percentage, like not every single patient who comes here comes to our therapy, right. Which, which means they're getting therapy somewhere else and some of them are probably getting good, but not all of them. And, and and if they're, you know, if they're going to be doing it and if we're going to be helping them, then we want to be able to help control their outcome. So the other thing is, is that we do obviously here have the luxury of, or not, well, you know, depending on how you want to frame it, but we have the opportunity 
of working with self-funded employers, which is great because that means we can put it in a bundle and we can we can value it in such a way that you know we can bill for it. But I think that's the other big question is, you know, how are we going to bill for remote patient management? What's Medicare going to pay? What about commercial insurance? What about Tricare? What about so? I think that's a barrier to adoption because you know there are so many technological add-ons that are coming out now and you know physicians are a little bit inundated by them and part of it is figuring out who's for real like amp recover and who's kind of you know sort of a kind of a quasi solution but not really you know not really the answer to the question and figuring out which partners to engage with but then ultimately how you're going to pay for them and, and bill for them is um you know is a barrier so mm-hmm. And, you know, when we finally get to that point in healthcare where we, the conversation is more focused on, well, what is the final outcome and truly moving towards value-based care, that's when that whole conversation will change. It's just that transitional period and how we're going to get there and AMP Recover could be a piece of that. It could be a big piece of that transition. Yeah. And Vinti, one thing, you know, from our side, like we, we have a, a handful of folks really studying and working on the, the billing side of this and it's coming like it's CMS and, and the private payers are surprisingly really moving forward year to year and opening up the telehealth billing um, codes to include remote patient management and the store and forward of data. So we're we're really not far away from something that we deliver to Dr. Turner becoming a, a a profit center, not a cost center, where they could actually, you know, like like he said, the the worry is, well, if they do their their you know therapy at home, I can't bill for it. But if very soon, you know, it's state by state, but very soon that's going to be billable, and and it's it's outside of their normal inpatient business. There's RPM codes that are being they're being created that they can actually bill for that store and forward of, of that data. And so, you know, that's really going to change the landscape, I think, where, you know, like you said, the barrier is really the cost. Well, I got to pay for the service, but how do I bill for it? So once it becomes billable in, you know, in most states where, where they can do that, if they have a face-to-face with a patient at home, and, and uh, unfortunately, the coronavirus has shined a huge, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, a huge light on telehealth where they're fast-tracking now, you know, telehealth bills and everyone's getting in front of it like, oh, guess this really is important to be able to deal with patients at home. So we think in, in 2020 and definitely by 2021, this is going to be something that's billable in most states. So our entire business model will change where, you know, we're not even charging Georgia Bone and Joint. Uh, we're just partnering together on on the billable, you know, events that they can do based on remote patient monitoring. So that's a, that's a really exciting thing that's happening. And, and, and surprisingly to all of us that have been this for, you know, three, four or five years, um, CMS is really, you know, Medicare services, they're really moving forward on this pretty aggressively. So that's great news for you know everyone in the industry. Absolutely. Uh, for patients as well. Um, you know, that's, uh, it's from my perspective, uh, you know, having been through that process, uh, previously of seeing an orthopedic surgeon and then being referred to uh, rehab afterwards and kind of knowing how I, because I'm probably not the best patient. I'm I'm self-admittedly uh, very uh, non-compliant and I, I fell off. Um, but, you know, if the system was designed where I could have done it more at home, I think, you know, I would have been more successful probably. 
you're and you're not like not average. You know, seventy percent of patients don't make it past three visits. You know, there's over six billion dollars lost every year in just patient dropout from rehab, uh, and it, you know, and that's just it's just a massive amount of of income. And and it's not just about the money; it's about the fact that, like you said, there's just so many people just don't want to have to you know come into the clinic. Um, even though you know we understand the PTs provide such a great human service because there's things they can do with their eyes and their hands you can't do you know with technology so there's a need for that but when the patients are doing well like we said there's you know there's so much that can just be managed at home and and, and it's shining a light on it now that you know and the codes have been there for a while for you know in rural situations where people have to drive like two hours to get to the clinic they're able to do those remote billing things and i think it's just going to increasingly get to the point where they understand that like you know we're not going to replace the physical therapist with a tool we're, we're simply empowering them to see more patients per day virtually, patients don't have to drive, sit in an office and wait because they're an hour behind. You know, it's, just, it's really just going to make it better for everyone. Uh, and I think you know the payers and CMS and all the and those groups are all are understanding that. If patients, I'm assuming patients also have access to to track their own data through the app as well. Um, if they can see their own stats, they're more likely to be engaged. Oh, 100%. The gamification of it is huge. You know, every PT provider will tell you if we can find ways to keep them engaged, just the basic, you know, the difference between sending you home with a, with a, uh, three ring binder with paper in it versus having, you know, very subtle push notifications, reminders, gamification on streaks that you've hit and goals. You know, a lot of our, a lot of our clients do phase based rehabilitation with goals to meet before you move on. So there's a sense of like, let's try to get you there so we can get to the next phase, you know, to gamify it. And so that's a huge thing. And I know Dr. Turner won't share patient info with you, information with you because of HIPAA, but you know, we have a bunch of patient um, uh, studies coming out where they've been willing to get on the record about their experience and just how much you know easier and and how much better it was just to have this accessibility not just to the work they're supposed to do which is great like you know we want to see videos instead of paper that's very obvious but the accessibility of their care team to know like you know the first thing they get home is i forgot what you told me uh, so just be able to send a quick text and say, am I supposed to start today or tomorrow? Those kinds of things. I mean, you'll see in these patient testimonials we have coming out in the next few months um, that we've done with some of our clients that, you know, they just absolutely love it because it's, you know, it, it just, it just fits the way that, that they want to work. So that makes us super happy to know that, you know, we're not just serving the business and like Georgia Bone and Joint, but their patients are actually super happy and engaged and really, and, you know, and, and really want to talk about how this is a really cool thing and, they would rather do it this way. So that, you know, that obviously is a, is a huge validation for us. Thank you so much for taking the time to give us a, a glimpse into AMP Recover, the, the, everything from how the, the genesis of the idea to how it's been rolled out at Georgia Bone and Joint and uh, facilitated some of the initiatives in the Center for Orthobiologics and kind of the dynamics when it comes to, to payers and, and the whole arena of self-funded uh employer insurance this uh there's so many different facets to this and i'm sure we could have talked for for much much longer uh but um we do have to uh we do have to close at some point but can we end this by anyone who's interested in learning more about amp recover how can they uh what resources can they access Sure. Just for us, just go to ampercover.com and uh, we have a, a, a pretty great description of what we offer and the benefits to the various uh, market segments 
on the website uh, and there's a contact form in there. You can reach out and we'd be happy to you know, get in touch with anyone that's interested in, in what we provide. And Dr. Turner, you have your own podcast as well, correct? Where uh, you discuss all things orthobiologics. How can people find that podcast? Yes. Shameless plug for the Orthobiologics <laughs> podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, um, Spotify, kind of uh, a lot of the major platforms that are out there. And then uh, obviously, we always refer back to our practice, georgiabonejoint.org. We, we find us on Facebook or LinkedIn. And, you know, we're happy, obviously, to see you and, and have uh, more engagement with great partners like Ampercover. And, and thanks so much for your time, Venti and Curvebeam and, and Dave Nichols for um, helping make us learn better about how we can change healthcare for the better. Absolutely. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Venti.